Eight out of five. Eight out of five? Sorry. I'm still reading this about the Postmaster General. This is fascinating. Welcome to Joe Picks an NFL Team. In this podcast, Joe, abandoned by his San Diego Chargers, is evaluating all 32 NFL teams to find out who he should root for next season. This week, for the first leg of our doubleheader, we go back to the Big Apple and check in with the New York Giants. Another one of my hated NFC East rivals, but at least they have twice spoiled the Patriots' Super Bowl aspirations. Joe, how are you feeling? Dan, we're back from hiatus. We're back from hiatus. I have gotten two separate people who noted that last podcast I ranted that if you don't release one podcast a week, you're not a real podcast, and we have missed a week. I think in the last episode, you actually said, we can't promise what day we're going to come out, but we promise we'll come out once every week. What I meant to say is that we will average one podcast a week. So we're going to do two this week, which is going to make up for last Perfect. week. And and then this weekend, we're going to have this special live at the NFL draft where we're going to have Super Fan Tony on the show, and it's going to be very, very exciting. So we're making up for lost time. Make up for lost time. This is going to be a huge, huge week for the podcast. And frankly, ever since that live show, Joe, your children put me out of commission with some sort of respiratory disease. But finally, after two weeks away, I am I'm back healthy again. <laughs> but Joe, you, on the other hand, I thought you were immune from all of this, but you're not no, sick. I'm sick. But unlike you, you know, as a father of three, I've learned to cope and manage with illness. You right. get a tiny... Tiny head cold and you're out of commission. Well, we're going to reverse things. So to your point of, of powering through it, I see you've got a drink in your hand. And normally you ask me what we're drinking. But frankly, I know nothing about this drink, stuff, Joe. So what are we yeah, drinking? Yeah, we're going to flip the script a little bit. Okay, so we're drinking what's called the New York cocktail, uh, which is the New York twist on a whiskey sour. It has rye whiskey, sour mix, or... Simple syrup and a sugar cube, if you want to make it the traditional way, and a splash of grenadine. Hmm. It, it dates back to at least 1930 when it was published in the Savoy Bartending Guide called the New York Cocktail. And this is why I like it for the New York Giants. It actually is a Southern drink with a New York twist. So if you use bourbon instead of rye whiskey, it's called the Continental Sour, just like the New York Giants are a New York team with a quarterback from the South. Is he from, I mean, I know he went to Ole Miss. Did, is he I think from, he's from, I think they're all from Tennessee, right? Well, Peyton Manning went to Tennessee and Eli Manning went to Ole Miss. So they could be from either, I mean, they could be from anywhere. It definitely was a Confederate state though. Definitely. That, that we can be sure of. I, I mean, I've been listening to my uh, friend's civil war lectures and I'll tell you, I've got some juicy stuff. The next time we do a Confederate team, I really really going to bring that out but now i don't want to when i picture when i picture confederate army forces i picture them all looking like the manning family well, i don't I know think, if that's accurate or not i think if they were all six foot five with laser rocket arms and uh <laughs> you know they were both called iron manning at one point i think the the history the might would have, have been had different. a better chance yeah. <laughs> i wouldn't want to fight against a team of mannings anyways what a drink we've got it we're drinking the north version the new york version now Let's jump right ahead. And since we've been off the air so long, the mailbag is just 
overflowing as it seems to be every week. We love we love when you guys give us the feedback. And I'm going to start this week with sort of a trip through memory lane where I mentioned in the last podcast that your old friend Tom Eaton had been sending emails as he had gone through and I said once he catches up we'll just go through and and read it. So How did Tom finally catch up? He's caught up and Great. I've sort of got I've he's sent I think five different emails about different things. I'm just going to go through. I'm just going to read them all, Joe. Save your comments till the end. I'm going to take Worth noting real quick. I haven't talked to Tom in years. So this podcast is reconnecting old friends. It's great. Abs- absolutely. It's, uh, he's not the only one. There's so many people coming out. And we'll see some of them in the mailbag. From now on, I'm only communicating with people through the podcast. Boom. Well, that really, I'm sort of a, a hermit. So I only actually do it. <laughs> okay. What does Tom have to say? Tom Eden, starting... At the beginning, from the Browns episode. Great episode two. Good change to categories one and two. Loved Bottlegate. Wow. Thanks, Tom. Remember that? Oh, Bottlegate. Categories one and two made no sense. That was a simpler time. Broncos podcast. I can't think of a Rob in my friend group. I think I might be the Rob. I have many (laughs) antisocial personalities, and I've always considered myself miserly, but I feel like to call me a Rob is a little much. I don't even know Rob, but I know he is a bigger dick than me. Oh, no. Is that a Rob thing to say? Tom Tom was Rob before I knew Rob. Tom was our Rob. But he is more likable than Rob. I'll give him that. But that, that really speaks more to Rob than to Tom. I thought Tom was pretty likable. I've met Tom a few times back in the day. All right, Cowboys. Two objections to the Cowboys episode. First, mm. a whiskey must be distilled from a fermented grain, not just anything, as I said. Well, I guess I said that. See, wasn't that a Rob-like thing to correct you on? Well, I think that's good information. He says vodka, on the other hand, can really be anything. Many countries have laws restricting the varieties of cereal grains that can be used and still called whiskey. Second, they are the fucking cowboys. There are only two types of cowboy fans, Texans, which have an obvious mark against them, and the bandwagony, truck-driving, cowboy-hat-wearing non-Texans, which are much worse. <sighs> Ouch. Harsh. Harsh, Tom. He didn't like that you scored them so well. Eagles. Eagles fans are the worst fans I've ever experienced. (laughs) I went to an Eagles-Packers game eight years ago, and from the Eagles fan perspective, you would have thought this was the nastiest, most historic rivalry in sports history. I saw an Eagles fan push a Green Bay fan while the Green Bay fan was at the urinal, causing him to pee on himself. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I... I, I, I actually experienced the like metaphoric version of that when I went onto the Eagles Reddit forum. So, so I know the feeling. I actually might experience this firsthand because in three days time, I'm going to be walking through the streets of Philadelphia oh in my, my Washington football club jersey on the way to the NFL draft. So you're definitely going to get pee on you. We'll see. <laughs> you can only hope that it's your own pee. <laughs> and Falcons. He had a long rant about the Patriots, which he said might be better served in the Patriots episode, and I will. Uh, I will bring that back out in the Patriots episode. And then he goes about the Falcons. The only thing that Georgians can associate that loss with is Sherman's March to the Sea, which I haven't gotten to yet in the Civil War lecture series, but I'm uh, excited to, to learn more about this as he, I know he like burned through the entire countryside. And then finally, his quip of quips, which I love. If Matt Ryan is a robot, the American industrial worker has nothing to fear from automation. (laughs) Beautiful. 
That's a great line. That's a great line. I great love line. it. Tom, A plus, A plus. Tom, thanks for the feedback. Beautiful. With that out of the way, I'm going to segue a little bit before I get into the rest of the mailbag, since he's sort of going through past episodes. Last weekend, one of the reasons we didn't record a podcast is I was in the place where this all got started, San Diego. And Joe, you gave me a job. So I was there for a wedding and I was staying. My hotel was literally across the street from Petco Park. So I was in the I love it. sports heart of San Diego. And as we were drinking... Nothing makes me happier, Dan, when the Joe Picks pod engages in firsthand journalism. We're out on the streets and I... Every person I saw who looked like a sports fan, which, by the way, I don't know if it's just that part of San Diego or it's part of San Diego, but every person at all of the bars everywhere were all the broiest. I mean, they all looked yeah, like they just, just got out of the gym, <laughs> but they all were big sports fans. And I think I talked to between seven and ten fans, and I asked them, are you going to be a fan of the Chargers after they left? And to a person... Every single one of them said, fuck the Chargers. I'm done with them. I'm not rooting for them anymore. I didn't have a single person that I met in person in San Diego who said they were going to root for the Los Angeles Chargers. Beautiful. Beautiful. I, t- I think I tried to sell them on the podcast, but it's uh, it was a tough <laughs> venue for it. <laughs> we should have printed up business cards is yeah. what we should have done, honestly. Yeah, it's been interesting because in my posting about the um, – podcast in various forums. Oftentimes people have said, why not just follow it just two hours away? And I think a lot of people think of the West Coast and especially California as like, oh, you know, what you know, what's the difference between San Diego and Los Angeles? And, you know, it's interesting to note that New York and Boston are about the same distance from each other as San Diego and LA when you account for Southern California traffic. Yet no one would expect anyone to root for the New York Red Sox. I'll tell you, as a, having having drive through L.A. twice on the way up and the way down. Oh, my God. Like, it's another reason to hate Los Angeles if you're from San Diego. Los Angeles is like the biggest time. It's like a black hole that just sucks <laughs> two hours of your life. The rest of the way from San Francisco to San yep. Diego is just smooth sailing. But L.A., there's no way to get through it. Anybody in San Diego who's driving to L.A. for a game, it's insane. It's like... Unless you've got own a helicopter, there's no way to do it. It, it would, I mean, it's going to take you the whole day. Well, and the thing that I, and, and I'm sure the folks you talked to in San Diego felt this way too. It, it isn't just that the Chargers moved, but it's how they moved. How Dean's, I mean, we talked about this ad nauseum in the, um, in the first episode, but we've been treated like crap for the last decade. So it's no wonder that San Diego fans aren't feeling very loyal to the Spanos family. Okay. Moving right along. We have to stay grounded, Joe. This is from Zach. I was going to write some constructive criticism about your Eagles podcast, but I'm simply speechless. You were wrong on all counts. Not even worth my time to address it. P.S. This guy, Super Fan Tony, sounds like a moron. P.P.S. I did appreciate your positive review of Philadelphia itself. Classy. Wow. Odd to spend the time to write in, but not tell us why you're writing in. I mean, if this person isn't a friend of Tony, then this is like, really? This person is just a random listener who hates Tony. If this person is a friend of Tony, then it all makes sense. But I, I really don't know. But I thought yeah. I'd read that. You, you got to get it. How would, a ran, how, would a, how would a random person hate Tony? All he's doing is sending us in helpful information. 
Yeah. But speaking of Tony, I'm not going to go to his email, but I'm going to his friend who I met a long time ago. I think maybe, I don't know, five or 10 years ago or something. He used to live with Tony. His name is Mike. His email. Longtime listener, first time caller. When the pod reaches the, quote, final four, will Joe be attending training camp for each team? For such an important life decision, I feel it's only appropriate to do some field research before selecting an NFL franchise. What do you think, Joe? You know, if we don't have any more weeks off, maybe we can get done in time to, to make it for training camp. Have you been to an NFL training camp before, Joe? Of course. I've been to Chargers training camp. Where do they hold that? Or where did they hold that? It was in Mission Valley, pretty close to the stadium. I don't remember the exact uh-huh. name of the neighborhood. But it was really close to where the stadium was. And it was cool because you can go and you kind of just stand at like this chain link fence and you watch them play. And then they all come up. And I like like got to meet Antonio Gates. and Yeah. I once went to... Super fan Tony, he used to live in Ithaca and uh, the New York Jets training camp was nearby there. And he once, we once went to the New York Jets training camp and uh, it's pretty cool to see these football players up close. They are some big human beings. Right, right. And you watch like an amazing catch or an amazing tackle and you're like, who is that guy? That was awesome. And you're like, oh no, that's like yeah, the, fourth, the, fourth, the fourth stringer that's, that's going to be on the practice squad and get cut. Yeah. And it was funny because they would come up at the end for autographs and it was like, Every person you knew the name of did just like left and went back to the hotel. <laughs> and it was like, it was all the people that are coming, but they're just, it's, they're just crazy. They're so big. It's um, very surprising. And speaking of Tony, we now get to his email, which is on the same topic as his friend, Mike. I think on the next episode, you should really have a discussion about the playoffs part of the pod and hammer that out. Otherwise people have no idea what the rules of the game really are except that the teams get put into the nowhere maybe pile and the maybe pile has a nebulous future of a field of possibly 16, but who knows? That's anticlimactic, even by podcast hook standards. Well, I mean, Tony, we could kind of work into Dan's intro, but his intro gets long enough as it is. Look, here are the rules. We're putting teams into nowhere maybe. I'm, I'm trying not to like cook the books and like sneak it into exactly 16. And then once we get to the exact number of teams that have made it into the maybe pile or the no pile. If we have to do bye weeks or play in games or whatever, we're going to get that to a sweet 16. I'm not sure you know, what else to say about that. All right. Well, I should also note that Tony wrote four paragraphs about his suggestions, which I did not read because I felt like if Tony himself wants to get his strong opinions about this on the air, he can do it in yeah, uh, this week. He'll be on the air. If Tony wants to suggest a more satisfying playoff system, I'm all ears. And our final email, to bring it all together, it's actually about the New York Giants. Thank you, Karsten. Although, before we get into the Giants, I want to say you did say, nice work on the Falcons podcast. The Falcons would be an easy transition for Joe from one lovable loser team to another. No love for the Falcons. Harsh but true. Okay. Worth mentioning on the Giants, Eli Manning is a baby. He pouted when Peyton won his second Super Bowl. Yep. He linked to a picture of Eli Manning not looking very excited as uh, Peyton Manning's family and the Manning family was celebrating. He refused to play for San Diego, perhaps depriving yep. San Diego of two rings. Although, I don't, well, I don't well, know. That's revisionist well, history, buddy. Hold on. And he is currently involved in a memorabilia fraud scandal. To quote the article he linked to, On April 27, 2010, Manning sent an email to the Giants head equipment manager asking for, quote, two helmets that can pass as game used. The email was initiated after Manning was sent a note by Alan Zucker, his marketing agent, 
to come up with equipment to satisfy his obligation to provide such materials to a sports memorabilia company. He's being sued as, or I don't know exactly know what the scandal is, but basically he was just like making fake memorabilia and people who bought it are pissed. Yeah. Why is Eli Manning doing that? I know. It's just so, I mean, I know why he's doing it because he made some agreement and they're like, Eli Manning, we need some of your helmets. And he's like, uh, I only have one helmet. <laughs> like, <laughs> so he just he made an agreement with just more than sixteen people to give but, them helmets, and he's but, like, "Holy shit, how do I keep up with this?" They don't get a different helmet each game, though. I think they like have a helmet. I mean, I don't know. I'm not an NFL football player. I was under the impression that they have like one main helmet. They kind of like work in, gets comfortable, and then I think that's, that's true helmet. for shoes. I don't think that's true for a helmet. I think you get a new one. I think you might get multiple per game. Wait, I think it's the exact opposite. I think you get and you wear a new pair of shoes each game, but your your helmet is like this thing that's fitted to your head to like precisely. All right, anyone who's listening who's a NFL <laughs> equipment manager, please write in NFL at JoePicksPod.com and let us know whether or not you get a new helmet each game or each quarter. I think even like in the Super Bowl, they just well, you, you know you they switch it out after every you play. You have a helmet practically. No. Okay. He's he's trashed Eli Manning. So, Joe, that's it for the mailbag this week. But before we get into the New York Giants, do you have some fan feedback about our previous episodes? Absolutely. So, you know, some of the Reddit forums have been uh, not too keen on us discussing their teams, and some of them have been welcoming, like Houston. Well, the Falcons, I guess, this is going to be a real... I I mean, I I don't know where this is going to go based on the episode we posted. If you were to guess... Would you think that the Falcons would be welcoming me or kind of pushing me away? It's interesting because I look, I love the Falcons. So at, at the very least, I feel like I didn't say anything that was negative about the Falcons. I, I, look, I, I'm we from, talked we talked a lot about the Super Bowl, though. I'm from Washington. Our winless streak is longer than Atlanta's. I know what it's like to have teams that always choke. I, I don't know what they want to say. I, I, I feel like they 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 liked it. I feel like they liked the podcast and they felt like we gave the, the Falcons a fair shake. Dan, they loved it. Oh, man. Yes. Huge response from the Falcons fans. Let me just read you a few of the comments. Okay. So from Mr. Coulter 51. It's interesting. Former Rams fan here who prior to the 2016-17 season chose to be a fan of whoever won the Super Bowl. However... The Patriots were the one team I refused to be a fan of. So go Falcons. Yeah, man after my own heart. Although I like to note that one really had nothing to do with the podcast at all. I don't. I, I don't think that gentleman listened. That's just okay. his personal relationship with the Falcons. Here's a fan from across the pond. Cheers for the podcast. I thoroughly enjoyed this as a new Falcons fan. You are obviously giving this way more thought than I did when I was deciding immediately after Super Bowl Fifty what team to support. My decision was entirely based on a being a West Ham fan and being used to crushing disappointment, which a, which a friend from Atlanta warned me is part and parcel of being a Falcon. Bam. And boy, did they deliver on that one. Even worse than the 2006 FA final, which is saying something for a 35-year fan of the Hammers. That was the FA Cup final where Liverpool, I believe, scored in stoppage time and then West Ham lost in penalties and only made one of their four penalty shots in the shootout. Ouch. Uh, Joe, you, you uh, no FA Cup semifinal disappointment just yesterday. Ugh, don't even. All right. And then the last one. Don't even bring that up. <laughs> the last one. After listening to the podcast, Zabrak said, so we have a high score. 
and we're high up in the seating. This sounds all too familiar. This too will end in disaster. Boom. I love Joe, what's not to like? They even have a sense of humor. I'll tell you, my problem though is as I listen to these uh, Civil War lectures, they're not the most positive about the Confederacy. <laughs> but I'm not sure. I'm still not sure where Georgia's place and what I've learned so far in the lectures, South Carolina, they're real instigators in the entire Confederacy and Civil War. I'm not exactly sure what 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 how Georgia played into that. We'll have to add a category. What role do they play in the Civil War? <laughs> Well, Texas played a big role, too. New York played a big role. It's all connected. All right. Anyways, enough about that. Into number one. Don't want a team that's too good or too bad. The Super Bowl odds for the New York Giants are 20 to 1. The New York football Giants have won four Super Bowls. They won in 1986. They won in 1990, which must have been an exciting Super Bowl. It was the Giants versus the Bills. That's the first one of the Bills' four losses in a row. I mean, that's pretty fun, all in New York. They, of course, won in 2007, beating the 18-0 Patriots, and they won 2011, beating the Patriots again. In the past 10 years, Joe, do you think their win percentage is top third, middle third, or bottom third? Definitely top third. Do you think their number of playoff wins, which, by the way, includes both their Super Bowl years, is in the top third, middle third, or bottom third? Top third. Okay. I'm just going to give you that that one's right. And Joe, made the playoffs, top third, middle third, or bottom third. That one's interesting because I know we, we've talked about how the NFC East has such high turnover in who wins the division. I would guess still top third, but maybe the bottom part of the top third. Okay, Joe, you did terribly, as right. per usual. Although it's, they're so, so close. So their win percentage is 55%, which puts them at 11th. So they are technically in the middle third, but I mean, I'll just give it to you. I don't want your pity points. Okay, fuck it. You don't get it. 55% puts him at 11th. So made the playoffs. You said top third. Eh, Exactly right in the middle third. They made the playoffs four times. Two of the times they lost in the first round. This year, of course, they lost to the Packers, which in sort of a blowout. In 2008, they lost to the Eagles in an NFC each matchup. The other two times they made the playoffs, they won four games each time and won the Super Bowl. So they have... Eight playoff wins, which puts them fifth. They either lose or they get hot and win it all. And they weren't coming into those those Super Bowl runs with a bye week, which is interesting. Exactly. They won it. They won it both going through the divisional round. So they've in the last six times they've made the playoffs, they've either won zero games or they've won the Super Bowl. They've won every game. <laughs> okay. So uh, basically... I mean, th- this is a, the consummate team, and this is the thing. Like, they make the playoffs this year, and they were sort of a, an odd team this year where they were like, offense wasn't very great, really dominant defense, and they sort of had a lot of buzz going into the playoffs. They they were playing the Packers, but people were like, it's the Giants. Maybe they've got one of those Super Bowl runs again with this dominant defense. And, that I mean, it's it's just such an interesting team because sort of, because they've had these two ridiculous Super Bowl runs with teams. I mean, the, the 2011 team went 9-7. and seven. They, right. They're almost right. never out of it. But at the same time, they're also... They've missed the playoffs for the past five years. But it's like, once they make the playoffs, people are like, 
they could win the Super Bowl. I mean, they, it's like the it's opposite just, of the M- Marty Schottenheimer Chargers that went fourteen and two, but then couldn't win in the playoffs. These are exactly. teams that are kind of mediocre all season, but then can go on a playoff. Like run. Eli Manning is like a laughing stock when he throws ridiculous interceptions or whatever, but it's also like. I don't want to face Eli Manning in the playoffs because <laughs> who knows what Eli Manning we're going to get. So you don't want a team that's too good or too bad, Joe. What do you think? I don't think they're too bad because, you know, the too bad part of the category is, is based on the idea of like, could they, are they just going to be terrible in the 2017 season? I don't think anyone would say that about the Giants. The too good category, though, is really partially historic because it's like how what would it feel like if they won the Super Bowl? Would it feel like this amazing breakthrough? And I just feel like with the Giants, because they've won it twice, it you know, relatively recently, it just wouldn't be all that exciting. So I am going to say they are a five. Five. So that's interesting. Normally, you, you sort of like the 20 to one range, but I think you do have a very interesting point, which is I think if the Giants won the Super Bowl... I don't think anybody would really care. If the Falcons won the Super Bowl next year or they lost miserably, I know you ranked them terribly on this. The narrative would be amazing. I don't think there's anything the Giants could do next year that would be an interesting narrative. Unless they beat the Patriots again in the Super Bowl. That's, that would be right, an interesting you're narrative. Right. I take that back. You're right. Giants, Patriots, three. And then the, if the Giants were like 10-point underdogs again and they won again and there was some sort of ridiculous catch. Number two, what do you think about the division? So this is the first division we've covered three times, the NFC East. I'm not going to go into the whole thing. We've got the Eagles, the Giants, the Cowboys, and the Washington Football Club. When you looked at this division from the Cowboys' perspective, you gave them a 10. When you looked at it from the Eagles' perspective, you gave them an 8.5 because I believe you felt that for the Cowboys, they've got so many of these great rivalries. It's just the perfect division. I think for the Eagles, it, they're have the rivalries but they haven't been as good as recent years so you didn't like it as much for them but again you're still 8.5 that's the second highest division score just as somebody in the division the Giants and the Washington Football Club have a huge rivalry the Giants and the Dallas Cowboys have a huge rivalry just because they've been the Giants are the only person in the division that's won a Super Bowl in recent history and so you know the Cowboys are all about rings and championships and the Giants are like hey where are the ones who's done it lately and they've got a rivalry with the Eagles I mean I think the Giants the perfect example is my Washington football club needed to win week 17 to make into the playoffs the Giants were playing for nothing their seed was settled they had nothing to play for they didn't rest anybody their defense came out absolutely guns blazing right completely shut the Washington football club out and kept us out of the playoffs because That's what the Giants want to do. Seeing somebody else in the division suffer and get held out of the playoffs makes them happy. Which is a great statement about that division. Everybody who's a fan of the Washington Football Club fucking hates the Giants. (laughs) And I have no doubt our Philadelphia fans who hate our podcast also hate the Giants. Let me ask you this, Dan. What is your ranking of team hate in that division? Cowboys 1, Giants 2, Eagles 3. I mean, I, I consider the Eagles like their fan culture. It's it's so unique and like crazy. I mean, I guess I'm going to see this firsthand, but I just love the like booing of whatever. Like, I can't hate them. <laughs> I just hate Cowboys. Not too different from Tom Eaton's earlier email. And the Giants are just 
they beat us in week 17. They had nothing to play for. Fuck the Giants. It's interesting because I, I feel like the Cowboys get more attention from the national media, which is one of the things that I, one of the reasons why I thought this was the worst division from the Eagles standpoint was they're kind of, kind of overlooked within their own division. That's less true for the Giants. And it's interesting because the Giants could make a reasonable claim that they are the best team in the division. Maybe not at the, maybe not at this exact moment, but at least over the last decade. For sure. Well, if you're looking at postseason success, the Giants have won eight playoff games in the last 10 years and and two Super Bowls. The Cowboys have just won two playoff games. The Eagles have won two playoff games. And the Washington Football Club has won no playoff games. So if you're looking at postseason success, I mean, they've won twice the amount of the other three teams combined. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a great division. And obviously, the Giants aren't winning it every year, but they sort of do have uh, bragging rights, at least, over every other team in the division. I, I gave it a 10 when it was the Cowboys. I think I have to give it a 10 again for the Giants. All right. Boom. Number three, does the head coach meet a minimum threshold of competence? Joe, who's the head coach of the New York football Giants? Tom Coughlin. No. Good guess, though. Kevin Gilbright. No. Ben McAdoo. That's not a real name. So Tom Coughlin, I think either fired. I think he was fired or he resigned or something. He was like in his 80s. So he may have just oh, he's, no, he's quiet, quietly died in the corner. Joe. How old is Tom Coughlin? Later in this doubleheader, we're actually going to talk about the oldest head coach in the NFL. Although he almost looks like one of the younger ones in the NFL. So it's hard to say. Age is just a number, Joe. And Tom Coughlin is happily alive and well. But Ben McAdoo, wrote a world out of the 24 non-rookie head coaches, they ranked him 22nd. Rarely will an 11-5 coaching debut be less impressive. Ben McAdoo is an offensive mind, yet his offense only scored 32 touchdowns in 2016, third fewest in the league. McAdoo could not scheme Eli Manning out of a season-long slump, and the running game was non-existent. There were bright spots, namely... By not firing the defensive quarter, Steve Spagnolo, who was great. And, you know, they had the second ranked defense. So his greatest accomplishment is not firing the more competent <laughs> defensive coordinator who works for him. It's become the biggest pet peeve of mine, these uh, offensive gurus or defensive geniuses who then, when they're the head coach, have a bad offense or a bad defense. It's very yeah. frustrating. I don't like this McAdoo character. I'm starting the bring back Tom Coughlin. <laughs> chance <laughs> gonna be weekend at bernie style we're gonna prop up his, his dead body <laughs> no, uh, he's alive and well yeah we'll see about that yeah this is two out of ten. <laughs> oh my god i guess it's not the lowest so far you get well it is the lowest so far you gave the browns coach three out of ten yeah he went one in 15 yeah right, he is well it was his first year though ben mcadoo went 11 and five and you're giving him a two no, you're out, Ben McAdoo. You don't like him. All right. Number four. Do the players get in trouble with the law? So in the past five years, you think they don't, they average, or they get in trouble more than average? Middle of the road. Boom. Joe, your comeback begins. You're right. They've had five incidents in the past five years, which puts them 13th. But for a player highlight, this is one of the very few teams where... I think we had this with the Falcons last week, actually, too, 
where we have a crime that happened and we have such a clear reaction to how the team reacted to as it gives us insight into the franchise. So last week, we have this Michael Vick incident. We have Arthur Blank come out and just immediately say, hey, Michael Vick, this isn't about football anymore. You got to deal with this. You're off, you know, just doing everything he can to essentially say, you know, cut this guy loose, who was the face of a franchise. And now let's look at how the Giants dealt with their kicker, Josh Brown, a fucking kicker. Josh Brown was uh, accused of domestic violence of his wife in an incident in mid 2015. Josh Brown was accused of domestic violence and his wife at the time later obtained a protective order against him. He was suspended from the NFL by one game when the allegations came out. And to this, Josh Brown responded, and I quote, This moment happened over a year ago. The case was dropped five days after the moment happened. We've moved on with our lives at this point, which, by the way, meant he and his wife got divorced. (laughs) While I'm not okay with the decision, namely the decision to suspend him one game, I have to respect it. So I look forward to the 15-game season and moving forward with my teammates. So he's suspended one game for domestic violence, and his immediate reaction is, ugh, I can't believe the NFL is suspending me one game. This is ridiculous. So let's look at how the Giants reacted to this. So these allegations came out. The Giants themselves knew that Josh (laughs) Brown had been involved in two incidents. Not one, not the one I talked about, but two. Both the incident I talked about before in 2015 when he was arrested on domestic violence, but also went to his wife's store at the Pro Bowl, started pounding on the hotel room door and screaming at her and threatening her until NFL security had to come and (laughs) drag him from the door and move her and her children or their children to a new room. So the Giants knew about both the first incident and the second incident. And what did they do? They decided to bring him back on a two-year, $4 million contract when he was a free agent at the end of the season. Jeez. Now, as he's playing, so he, they signed him on this two-year deal. He's back. It's a twenty. It's this year's season. Plays first four or five games. And then the documents in the domestic violence case come out. They become public, in which Josh Brown, in the documents, in testimony, admitted that he, quote, had physically, verbally, and emotionally abused his wife, and that he had viewed her as, quote, his slave. Josh Brown (laughs) knew he had said these things to the court a year earlier. When when he was complaining about his one-game suspension. The Giants organization knew he had had these domestic violence incidents and then still signed him to deal. And yet, when the allegations came out, here's what the Giants did. The Giants said, we're playing a game in London this week. We're just, we're just not going to take Josh Brown on the trip to London. And we're just going to sort of let this whole thing blow over. What a punishment. Massive, massive controversy ensues. Then five days later, the Giants release a statement, quote, We believed we did the right thing at every juncture in our relationship with Josh. Our beliefs, our judgments, and our decisions were misguided. We accept that responsibility as they released Josh Brown. I'm sure they would have come to that realization if there hadn't been public pressure. Yes, I'm sure. It seemed like... uh, It was just through their heartfelt introspection. 
you know, the Giants organization released a statement. Josh Brown is getting treatment for his problems. But at the same time, he's lying, just knowing what he knows about what he did. Right. The statements he made and the Giants reaction to it. I mean, look, you're the one who scores this, Joe. But that that's the facts. No, it's 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 disgusting. And it's also like, I mean, and this has nothing to do with the Giants, but like, what the hell is wrong with the NFL that they can't treat domestic violence appropriately as they do other crimes or other infractions? That there are longer suspensions for players who smoke weed or who like allegedly deflate balls. Yeah. Then for someone who says those things and has documented domestic violence, it's just it's stupid. And like, oh, like, did he make it back in time for the game where he was kicking his field goals with pink shoes on? Like, like, yeah. like it's just it's just total fucking bullshit. You know, when the people get the four game ones for marijuana, they're always like, oh, I'm so sorry to all my fans. I let everybody down. <laughs> it's like, no, you did nothing wrong. Like you should be you have pain issues. Let smoke marijuana for fuck's sake. And for a reminder for people or for first time listeners, this category is really all about getting a sense for how this team might handle incidents in the future and contrasting this with talking about Atlanta last week and how immediate and strong their reaction was to Vic, coupled with the fact that this was the star franchise quarterback. And this is how the Giants are handling a kicker. The most replaceable position in the NFL. I mean, right. kickers get replaced when they like miss three kicks in a row and they're like, we got to get somebody new in here. Right. It says a lot about them. And, you know, you worry, okay, so if this were a start, if this were Eli Manning, who obviously now has his own weird scandal going on, how much more would they have tolerated? How much, how much louder would the outcry have had to be for them to actually act on it? So yeah, this is terrible. Zero out of 10. Oof. I think it's fair though. They, they joined the Broncos. Zero out of 10. And that's zero out of 10 without even having a keep to leave on there. I know. It's pretty impressive. But look, if the kicker is this bad, Joe, that's Ugh. when they have to come up with a statement and be like, our decisions were misguided. <laughs> that's it's not good. Even that statement, the way that it starts off with like, we believed it at the time to be right. It's like it's a weird backwards way of saying sorry. It's stupid. All right, Joe. Number five, can't root for a team that Rob roots for. What does Rob think about the New York Giants? Let me guess. In order to get a low score, he would have to love them. So I'm sure he loves them. He rates the Giants as his second most hated team. Wow. Good for you, Rob. His second most hated team, he says, the Giants and all their bandwagon fans can eat a dick. Bandwagon fans in 1986... Joe, I think that's a very gendered uh, insult, and I don't like it. I'm just reading what Rob wrote. Rob, Rob, Rob is a dick. So, yeah. bandwagon fans every time they make a Super Bowl, invisible every other year. The only redeeming thing they've done is keep Tom fucking Brady from being seven and zero in Super Bowls. Yeah, but isn't that really good work they did in those two Super Bowls? I mean. Disrupting the 18 and 0 season should get them something. If you can't become a bandwagon fan of your team when they're in the Super Bowl, when can you? Come on. It's a weird knock on the team. I mean, I like it, but I have to like the Giants if Rob hates the Giants this much. They're almost his most hated team. If I were to root for the Giants, it would be so much fun to like rub it in Rob's face whenever they beat the Packers. Oh, maybe no, the, no, no, the Packers beat them this year. You think he'd have more sympathy for them? Yeah. All right. I mean, look, nine and a half out of 10. 
There you go. Number six, is this a city you would enjoy visiting to go to a game? You gave the Jets eight and a half for this. They literally play in the exact same stadium. They play in the exact same city. So I don't know how the score could be different. I'm sure you might come up with some convoluted reason, but I have nothing to say on it that we haven't already said before in the Jets episode. Well, look, the Giants tend to play their home games. uh, No, I have no idea. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) this is uh, same score, eight and a half out of ten. Copy, paste. Number seven, does the team have player players you could put on your fantasy roster? So as we saw in the coaching section, this was not a good year for their offense at all. But there were, well, there was really one bright spot, Odell Beckham Jr. He was very, very good. Depending on how your league scored wide receivers, he was anywhere from first to fourth. 1,367 yards, 106 receptions, 10 touchdowns. I mean, for for a big-name wide receiver who went high in drafts, he absolutely delivered. I mean, there's huge numbers. Other than that, absolutely nothing. Eli Manning, unplayable. Everybody else on offense, unplayable. Their defense was very, very playable. So their defense was the sixth-best scoring defense on fantasy. And, you know, they just they had some great weeks, too. So their defense would, was absolutely a... Um, could be a stalwart and Odo Beckham Jr. was great. There's literally not another player on the team though that was playable. I remember in I think it was the 2014 season when Odell Beckham Jr. had his breakout year. I remember I think you had him, Dan. And I remember this because it was he was one of those players that like it wasn't the first game, maybe the second or third game of the season had a really big game. But you know, there's always those wide receivers towards the beginning of the season that you spend all your like free agency money to buy and then they end up having two more receptions the whole year i think i looked at him and was like oh i don't know who this guy is i'm not gonna pick him up and then you picked him up off waivers and he was great that year well i appreciate the attempt at making me feel good but the year the thing you're thinking of is another new york giants receiver was victor cruz but i did to your point in my our keeper league, which you are now a part of, I drafted Odell Beckham Jr. for one dollar. For one dollar, I picked him up in like the fourteenth or fifteenth round, and he did not perform or play at all in the first three or four weeks. And I dropped him. Somebody else picked him up, and he was obviously and continues to be amazing. And had I just held on to him and kept him for a dollar, that hurts, man. Although I already won the league last year without him, so maybe maybe it would have been worse. You know, I don't want to go back and change anything. Yeah, so we've got two players, but the one thing they have is one of the players is really goddamn good, and he was great this year. Depending on scoring, again, the the more receptions count, the better he was because he had 106 receptions, and he's going to be great next year. I mean, you just watch Odell Beckham play, and I have to watch him play twice a year. He's terrifying. He he can catch a five-yard slant, and it, it's just like he's running at like 1.5x speed compared to everybody else on the field. Yeah, I mean, the one knock against him is, which we talked about with, with other players, n- no one's sneakily getting Odell Beckham Jr. anymore. Yeah, definitely not. There's well, no, you can't. I like, mean, he's had two incredible seasons in a row. Right, there's no hidden value there. But, I mean, that's not his fault, whatever. But what, I mean, look, it's better than the Browns who have nobody. At least they've got... I mean, they've got a player that the thing is, if you're tuning into a Giants game, he's he's one of the most exciting players in the NFL, I think, to watch. I, I, I actually can't think of anybody who's more exciting to watch than him. Well, I can think of a few. Who? I think. Who's more exciting than Odell Beckham Jr.? Look, I'm just saying from a fantasy owner standpoint, there's nothing more satisfying than watching Antonio Brown just get 
shit yards. <laughs> just, just get yeah. catch after catch after catch for like four yards, five yards, three yards. And just know if you're in a PPR league that you're just racking up the points. Antonio Brown does get a lot of those like screen passes too, but we'll talk about that in the Steelers episode. It's so satisfying. You're you're okay. gonna. You're, I mean, we can just write in the Steelers for the ten out of ten just for Antonio <laughs> absolutely. Brown. Okay, absolutely. what are the Giants? We gotta. We're supposed to go through this quickly. So one very very good player, but not a whole lot else. The defense is very playable too. I mean, the defense yeah. is probably drafted for two dollars next year. Definitely, there is no question that if I pick the Giants. As my team, I would have to buy Odell Beckham Jr. in the draft, 100%, in every league that I'm in. Definitely. And you won't be disappointed. No, but one player alone is is not great compared to other teams. So let's say generously 5 out of 10. Okay. I think it's fair. Number eight, is the owner a monster? So we've already gotten a little bit in the um, crime section, a little taste of how the owner reacted to you know, issues with the team. And and I'm sure that can be included in this score, but let's not forget you've already given them the zero for that. But I just want to sort of give you the, the basis for who these owners are. So the Giants are owned 50-50 by two people, John Mara and Steve Tisch. So John Mara is the third generation of his family to own the Giants. His grandfather, Tim Mara, founded the team in 1925, Tim's son, Wellington and Jack, inherited the team in 1958 when Tim died. And I think uh, John Mara got the team from them uh, 20, 30 years ago, something like that. Among NFL franchises, only the Chicago Bears, uh, controlled by the Howis and McCaskey family, have been in the, the hands of one family for longer. So take what you will from that in terms of, I know that the kind of like, Sometimes inheriting the team is we we like don't like that because the kids are just these snobby brats. But I think the Mara family is somewhat NFL royalty, and I would say John Mara, John Mara himself graduated college, was a lawyer, was a successful lawyer for I think ten or fifteen years, and then took over the team. I, it wasn't like he was some like trust fund baby. Right, he wasn't only that he, he was like he job. was like a successful lawyer. And then it's also owned by half by Steve Tisch. So Steve Tisch is an American film producer and businessman. Steve Tisch has a very, he is the only person in the world with this combination. So, you know, the EGOT that is in 30 Rock, right? the Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony. Right. So Steve Tisch is the only person with a Pogs. <laughs> What's a Pogs? Well, it's a... Okay, hold on. Hold on, let me guess. Peabody, Oscar, Grammy, what? No, 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 know. no. <laughs> what is it? Well, I just came up with Pogs. Maybe I should have come up with something better, especially because Emmy's in there and I use P because it's... Why so, did you use P? Well, because it specifically said Primetime Emmy, but he didn't win a Primetime <laughs> Emmy. He only had a Primetime Emmy nomination, but he has an Oscar... For as a producer of Forrest Gump, he has a Golden Globe as a producer of Forrest Gump, and he has a Super Bowl ring. So, primetime Emmy, ah. Oscar, Golden Globe, Super Bowl ring, a Pogs. He's the only person in the world that has this combination of things. Steve Tisch, he donates to a lot of Democrats. He's like an LA movie producer. John Mara has, as far as I saw, made no political donations on the, uh, the blotter at all. 
Although I, I have no, I mean, I guess he's a New York guy, so who knows what he does. As we talked before about the stadium funding, the, the stadium they have is the only stadium in the country that had was 100% private financing. You know, one thing I, I want to note on the podcast is when I was in Seattle, you told me to listen to the Steve Ballmer podcast episode of the BS podcast, yeah. which was yeah. great. And one thing that was really interesting to me is the the Clippers and the Lakers share a stadium, you know, share the Staples Center. Yep. But the Clippers yeah. sort of get third billing. The Lakers get first billing. The Kings get second billing. The Clippers get third billing. And they and he talked about he's like this isn't our arena we just he, lease it he talked yeah. about yeah. building a new arena and then sort of Bill Simmons made a comment about like public financing and he was like oh we're not getting public financing and it is it's such a, such a good point like I think like cities like L A or New York they're just going to be like we will never give you public funding right, like right, if you want right. to do a stadium you're on your own it's like fuck you and so I don't think we should give them too much credit well and. I mean, to be fair, you know, to give them a little bit of credit for it, East Rutherford might have, right? I mean, like I assume they bring in a lot of tax money by having the stadium in New Jersey rather than in, I mean, I don't know where they'd put it in Manhattan anyway. Well, maybe it's be, because they had to pay for it. That's why it's in East Rutherford. Right. Yeah. No. Well, I will. I mean, can you imagine how expensive it would be to build a giant stadium in That'd the middle insane. of Manhattan? You know, these owners seem fine. They seem pretty good. John Mara. Uncle to one of my uh, favorite actresses, Rooney and Kate Mara, the Mara sisters. Steve Tisch, I'm looking up. I mean, produced some, actually produced some pretty terrible movies, but some decent ones too. I disagree with that. He's produced some very good movies. Movie producing is a, it's a hit or miss game. It's an art, not a science. Sure, sure. No, look, there's really nothing objectionable about these guys. Other than their treatment of Josh Brown. Which we've already scored. Also, Steve Tisch is Jewish, so. You know, got to give him bonus points for that. Uh, yeah, this is, uh, these owners seem great. Eight out of 10. Eight out of 10. All right. Number nine, rate the uniform and the logo. The New York Giants got their name when Tim Morrow borrowed the Giants nickname from John McGraw's National League baseball team, a common practice by football teams during an era when baseball was the nation's preeminent team sport probably why they're called the New York football giants. So the New York giants who were played were the New York giants from 1903 to 1957. And the New York giants were of course founded in 1925. So they just took the name. It's smart marketing. Yeah. I mean, the giants logo is just super boring, but it's simple. It's, I, I mean, come on the colors, red, white, and blue, and then some gray in there. Yeah. I'm not impressed. It's boring. Kind of looks like the Bills. <laughs> They're all right. Two out of ten. Two out of ten. Wow. Wow, you gave the Browns zero out of ten for some reason. But, oh, because their helmets were orange and their name is Brown. I stand by that. All right. Number ten. Do they play a style of player you would enjoy watching? Even the Giants color rush uniform is boring. Okay, go ahead. I watched... Giants games last year. I, I suffered through two of them and watched many more. I watched the playoff games. Great defense. But their offense is just so terrible. I mean, their offense is literally throw to Odell Beckham Jr. and hope he dodges like four guys and runs it for 80 yards. Like they, I of their 11 wins, I would not be surprised if four of them were like the winning score was 
Odell Beckham Jr. running it in from like 80 yards out for a touchdown. Like Odell Beckham Jr. is like three-yard catch, two-yard catch, three-yard catch, 80-yard touchdown catch. And I think Bill Simmons always says about the Giants too that in every game, Eli Manning will throw one, at least one, inexplicably bad pass, like a pass that no NFL quarterback should ever throw. That is a rough style of play to watch. But, I, I mean, Eli Manning, he's a, he's a gunslinger. But he had a terrible year, though. I mean, there's there's just nothing else to say. The, the offense of the Giants was terrible, but their defense was great. No, but I think the point is that even, even in years when he's playing well and their offense is doing well, there will still be a play every game where you just, like, shake your head. So, like, Joe Flacco, you know, they made a Super Bowl run, too, and Joe Flacco is often considered as this quarterback who has a, a very low floor but also has a very high ceiling and i think eli manning is very similar to that he has high variance he will make a lot of crazy throws sometimes right. work out and sometimes fail, fail horribly and to your point i mean i'm not i'm not unfamiliar with that with that dichotomy as a a philip rivers fan maybe his floor isn't quite as low like he doesn't make such terrible passes but he does because he's also kind of that, that like gunslinger out there. Like he he does make some passes where you're like, ah, why did you even try that? He also has that weird throwing motion, which just makes it look all the worse. Oh, I still love Philip Rivers. I know. That's going to hurt. That's going to hurt next year. When I was talking to the fans on the street, one of the person I talked to said, they're never going to stop loving Philip Rivers. And they're never going to stop loving the players. But they, I mean, I think I had actually talked about this in a previous episode, but they were like, in five years, I'm not going to know any of the players anymore, and then I'm not going to care. That's exactly right. I mean, I'll, I'll always wish Philip Rivers well, but um, that's going to be rough to watch him play for not San Diego next year. I think their style of play is fine. I think throughout this process we've seen, I, I prefer high-powered offenses that maybe carry defenses more than I like high-powered defenses that carry mediocre to bad offenses. But I think that they're fine. Four and a half out of ten. I would say as far as offenses go, they waver much more on the side of unwatchable than watchable. Like when we get to the Chiefs, they're a pretty bland offense, but I think they're watchable. But this is a it's not fun to watch your team make like thirty bad plays and then Odell Beckham Jr. runs in one eighty yard touchdown. Number eleven. What's interesting about this fan base? Well, nothing is interesting about this fan base. I I looked it up online. I think Jets fans, they root for the underdog. Right. Giants fans are just like a standard New Yorker. We all know New Yorkers. You've been to New York many times. That's what that's what you're getting. The fans are. So Right. We know New Yorkers, we like New Yorkers, but do I want to align myself with that? I don't know. But I do feel like it, in the corollary of, okay, the Jets, you know, if you were to say Jets fans are Mets fans and Giants fans are Yankees fans, I think that there is a breakdown in the relationship between the Giants and the Yankees. Because at least with the Yankees, there's this like ethos of like, we know that we're assholes. We know that we're going to spend way more than every other team. But what we're striving for isn't competing with every, we want to be the best every year. Yeah. We, we want to win it. Every, and, you know, we want to win it every year. And we want to create a team that's not just eking out victory, but, but, but the greatest baseball team of all time every year. And there's that mentality of, perfection that makes Yankees fan, I think, unapologetic about the imbalance in baseball. The Giants fans aren't really doing that. They don't have this like historic dynasty of like, oh, that was, you know, the Giants are known as, I mean, I actually would maybe incorrectly, but 
nonetheless true, associate that more with the Cowboys and the Giants. Absolutely. Jets and Mets fans are so aligned. They're both this underdog. They're both this sort of, we want the secondary team. I do feel like there's probably more of a Yankees and Cowboys like Venn diagram than there is a Yankees and Giants. Although I'm sure there also is a large Yankees and Giants because that's just, I'm sure the person who roots for the Giants is also probably a Yankees fan. If I was given a choice, if I was saying, okay, you're going to be going to a dinner party and sitting next to one of two people that you don't know, but I'm making the seating chart right now and and you can pick. And I, I can only give you one piece of information about the person. One of them is a Giants fan. One of them is a Jets fan. Which one do you think you have a better time with at that dinner party? I think I'd pick the Jets fan. Yeah. I definitely pick the Jets fan. Right. I can't even articulate why, but I think I definitely would. Well, all the teams I root for, I mean, we're in the same boat. Our teams always <laughs> lose. True. I feel like we'd have more in common. And I kind of feel like like the Giants fans have like a little bit of an attitude. I'm sure they do. I'm sure they're irrationally cocky. Well, look, and I would be remiss to not mention my, my absolute dislike for Eli Manning. Um, yeah, which, he refused to play in San Diego. Which, look... If I'm giving up my San Diego or my Charger fandom, I have to, just like I gave up my dislike for the Broncos, I have to give up my animus. I mean, and like, actually, if you think about it, Eli Manning was kind of right. He was like, this this team, you know, this franchise is a mess. Well, FYA, you guys did great in that deal. So it's like, you can't even be upset about it. Philip Rivers was better than Eli Manning and has been better over his entire career. Yeah, and we ended up with Sean Merriman in that deal, which yeah. was great for the first few years. And then he ended up being a yeah, whatever. Like, but the, look, right it's fine. Yeah, it was great. It was a great deal. I'm happier with, with how it worked out. And like I was saying, he was actually right about the Chargers. It was an organization that was in turmoil. So yeah, it's still a shitty organization, <laughs> right? So I, I maybe have a little bit more sympathy for it. But even without that, he's just you know what an unlikable guy. All right. If you're a Giants fan and you're still listening, sorry we called you terrible people. I'm sure you'd be lovely at a dinner party. You should go and listen to our, our other episodes. You'll probably like them more. Uh, but this is like a Joe, two out of we 10. We need to get to the doubleheader here. Let's go. Two out of 10. Two out of 10. <laughs> two out of 10. Okay, rate the drink, Joe. Rate just the sort of, drink. This was just sort of like a, a weak, old-fashioned. Um, four out of 10. Four out of 10. Wow. Boom. That's right. I, I really enjoyed the drink. Anyways, that tallies up their total score at a 60.5, 60.5. The Buccaneers at a 65, you gave no. The Broncos at a 62, you gave maybe. The Chargers at 62, you gave maybe, though your heart might have had something to do with that. You gave the Jets no at 55.5. So this would be the lowest team you would give a maybe to if you did so. But it would there would be no team lower that you've given a maybe to. So this team is right in the middle of your no's and your maybe's. Unfortunately for the Giants, I think this is a no. You're out. Not going to be a Giants fan. All right, folks. That concludes the first part of our doubleheader. Thank you for listening. Sorry, Giants. We're going to record the next. It's now 11.22 p.m. So this is going to get this is going to get wild in the doubleheader. We're about to start recording a second. Thank you so much for listening. You're going to see this one, and then you're going to see the next episode probably tomorrow as you're listening to this. So see you, everybody. Making up for lost time. Okay. Yeah.